Welcome to the Get Emergent Podcast. On our Driving Leadership episodes, you'll witness conversations with leaders from all walks of life and learn about what drives them to lead. You'll hear about their leadership development, current challenges that face them and their organizations, and stories about leadership. I'm Bill Berthel, and my desire to demystify leadership and have real conversations with leaders is what drives me. Joining me today is Winnie Deloiza. Winnie, thank you so much for joining us. It's a privilege. I'm really happy to be here. Winnie, I'm at a loss a little bit on actually how to introduce you. You're such a dear, cherished friend and colleague of all of us at Emergent. The relationship goes back with our founder, Ralph Simone. Tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's the stuff that you put on the resume. You know, I, you know, I have a EDD from University at Albany. I uh, had a business I started in 1986. It's still running at this point under a different name. It was Delawise Associates in those days. And now it's East West Leadership Coaching, and I have a partner who works with me, Newell Eaton. And and I sort of retired from actual working. Every once in a while, Emergent drags me out of my house and asks me to do something, which I'm always happy to do. But I'm sort of retired, and I started to retire at 81, and now I'm 83. What can I tell you? Uh, that's awesome, Winnie. And, and I want to put a special plug out there for Newell as well. Personally, he was... He was a coach of mine six or so years ago. He's a brilliant guy and a wonderful partner. Oh, gosh, yes. Brilliant yeah. guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure a wonderful partner for you and your work. Winnie, you've got so many rich stories. I enjoy sitting down and talking with you every time we get the chance. Take our listeners on your leadership path. <laughs> well, I think it starts in Brooklyn in the 1940s. Yeah. I grew up in a family that had my parents were working class people on the one side, the Polish German side. And then there was an Irish side that were really educated, college graduated women who were suffragettes. And we would have these incredible conversations. So I had both that kind of pull yourselves up with your bootstraps figure out how you're going to make money. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it, which, which was the intellectual part of the knowledge part, so that that is embedded in me at a very, very, very young age. And in addition to that, because my mother worked and I was kind of home by myself a lot, they would never tolerate that these days in this thing. I was out on the street, you know, at six and seven years old with my buddies running around Brooklyn going, my parents didn't even know where we were going. Right. As long as you were home at 5.30 for dinner at night, you were good. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so there's all of that. And that's kind of autonomy and freedom that comes yeah. from that, that I think is an essential part of my character. And so that's how it starts. And then I, my degree was in chemistry. I was a terrible chemist and I was great on the theory, but terrible in the lab. So I left that. I was spent some, a couple of years in Wall Street trading options when they were doing it over the counter. I was like only one of two women in the room of about 110 men who were wow. trading stocks yeah. at Bayesian Company and actually had to take over my partner's work. And I remember... One of the great moments was I was sat right away 
right across from Bill Kahn, who was one of the major partners. And I was supposed to be trading, so I had shorted Revlon stock, and I didn't cover it because I figured I would play with it and so forth and so on. And he says, he says, the morning comes, and he says, Winifred? <laughs> and I had to go into his office, and he says, what's this Revlon thing? And I explained it to him, and he said, you go cover that right now. And he said, if something happens like this, tell me, never keep the truth from me. Mm -hmm. And to me, that that was one of the major moments of my life is, you know, always say what's going on. You know, don't try to hide it. Actually say when something is wrong and take care of it and have some help in taking care of it. So it was a, a big lesson for me. From there, I went on to Brooklyn Adult Training Center, where I was teaching people who were studying to be auto mechanics. And there I found my vocation that I was really a teacher. And I was a person who liked working not with kids, but with adults. Yeah. And it was from there I went back. I left Brooklyn and I went to the up to the Adirondacks and I was there in the Adirondacks. And I knew I loved being out of Brooklyn and I knew I couldn't tell my mother I had no job. So I went and I signed up for university. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so I went and I got in there. I took a master's degree and then I went on for my doctorate. And then from then on, jobs began to come to me. And actually, when I was in graduate school, I was leading groups of students down into Brooklyn into the South Bronx and into Bedford-Stuyvesant and other schools in which we were teaching them individualized instruction. That was the key to what we were doing. And I was a leader in that in Brooklyn Adult Training Center. And then at the graduate level, I began to bring people into these schools. And that's how, you know, it was sort of the beginnings of this. And then, of course, I had connections and all of a sudden, I got lots of people hiring me, and I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gave me autonomy. I was good at what I was doing, and it called upon both skills that I had, which was kind of this entrepreneurial person, and then this also this intellectual person who could help people. And the helping of the people, I think, was a major piece of this. I mean, the I remember one client saying to me, I met his wife and she said, you saved our marriage. Mm. And to me, that was the biggest reward. You know, that was, you yeah. were really making an impact on people's lives. And by the way, I was making money. Yeah. yeah. And so there was my mother, Wanda, make the money. And that was my father's side of the paper. But the thing is, do good work and do intellectual work. Those voices in my head have driven me forward. So almost a potential duality there you were able to bring together in this space that you called teaching and leading, but so much more. What else did you do to, to use your words, help people? How were you helping people? So in coaching and in the leadership work is that a lot of times people get into these positions and they have no idea. They have no, there are kind of little tricks that you can do that you and I know is like situational leadership. And then there's things like the speech acts, mm -hmm. which are so, how should I say, so simple, 
Mm. And when somebody's starting out and has kind of that kind of a tool, they find a, a sense of success in what they're doing. And that is really helpful. Otherwise, they're flaying around, don't know what they're doing, and they pick up some really bad habits. Yeah, absolutely. So you're working with leaders and organizations, people, all different walks of life. Where, where were you That's finding right. a little bit? No, of it was in it was in organizations. I okay. I just had. And how did I do this? I never marketed. I never did any mm. of those things. I, what happened is that people who knew me would take me in and say, I want her to do this work. Yeah. And I did that a lot in the not-for-profit area. And then one time I was went to a training session on complex change. This was in the 90s when all of a sudden the rapid change was taking place and everybody was talking about change and how to mm -hmm. manage transitions and stuff like that. And her, uh, the woman's name was, gosh, I'm going to forget the name. Well, anyway, what happened is I hired her to do a leadership program for the state university, for the state. And she charged $3,500 for her session. Mm -hmm. Now, at that time, I was charging maybe $800. Mm -hmm. So I said to her, I said, how do you get that kind of money? She said, I just open my mouth up and get the biggest price out I can without vomiting. I said, oh. <laughs> so my, That's a great strategy. Then, that's right. And then in that room where we were studying was another woman, Deborah Turner, and she worked for Corning. Mm -hmm. And she saw something in me God knows what she saw, what anybody saw in me. Mm. And what she did was she hired me to do a leadership course at Corning. And that was my first corporate job. I now my bill went up to $1,875 a day. Right. Whoa, right. that was really something. And I had two kids I was supporting, right? So this was really big time. Yeah. And and I did that. And then I actually did leadership courses for Corning for 18 years. And when I think of that contact that that woman, she's an African-American woman, her faith in me was yes. equivalent to a million dollars over all of those years. Yes. And she's a great friend, but that's all of my contacts were for people I knew. And it was there that I met Ralph. Mm -hmm. And then my relationship with Ralph and with Emergent then grows from there. And I worked for them for a while. And so you still call me to do stuff from time to time, but it was all through people who saw something in me that they said, she's going to be able to be a teacher of leadership. And I had also, I think I had the advantage at that time of being a woman and feminism was in the growth spirit at that time. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very, how should I say, I'm a very energetic person. And my voice is strong, as you can hear. And so that comes from Brooklyn. <laughs> and, and so I think they saw something in me that led them to hire me. And yeah. that's how it went all my life. And you know how to relate, Winnie. That's what I love about you. Uh, the, the moment I'm in your presence, I feel someone who's valuing a relationship. I do. I do. Yeah. So, you know, that also comes from... A period in time in my life where when I told you about this business that I lost, I had worked for as a consultant for about five years for 
the Department of Social Service in Oswego. Politics right. changed and I was out. You know, that's always the first to go as the consultant. But it was really, the loss was great for me. And I was went to another conference in Massachusetts and great teacher. And I cried through the whole week. Mm. That's what I did. I just cried. Yeah. So this woman says to me, you know, you would make a great coach. I said, what? And she said, yeah, I went to this coaching company and I signed up right away. I didn't even investigate other ones. I just did it. Yeah. And the day I did that, my business changed. I got hired as a coach. And part of that was timing. This was when coaching was new. Mm -hmm. And there were not a lot of us around it. So I did a lot of coaching for, for Corning over the years and also a lot of different places. And I was very grateful and very lucky to have all of this happen. Timing, my personality, all of those things. Yeah. If I asked you what you felt was a major motivator or still is a major motivator in your work, in your leadership, Winnie, what would you narrow that down to? Like, why do you do what you do? Why have you done what you've done? I would say it's that, no, I'm going to go back to an old story now. Awesome. I went to Marywood Seminary in Scranton for high school, boarding school. Okay. And it was run by the nuns. Yeah. And Mother Superior, who ran the whole operation, lived in that building. And she had an assistant who walked about three steps behind her hmm. that carried the keys to every door in the building. And when I saw them walk around, I said to myself, I don't want to be Mother Superior, yeah. but I want the one who carries the keys. <laughs> <laughs> what was that about? No, tell, tell, tell. <laughs> opens the doors, yeah. opens the doors. And as a consultant, that's, that's so what cool. you do. That's so cool. You man. open the doors and the leader goes through and they make it happen. Okay. <laughs> so you were a, uh, like a middle schooler, high schooler at that point? How old, high how old? schooler. Yeah. High schooler. Yeah. High schooler. Yeah. So that, that is... was a big impact on me to watching that. Love it. Love it. And Mother love... Superior would look back at the other sister and, uh -huh. you know, sort of say, okay, what's next? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's a team. Yeah. Oh, and I beautiful. think that that drives a lot of it. And then, you know, as I've gotten older, I've deepened my spiritual experience and my spiritual life. And so much of my leadership now, as I see leaders as needing in the new world that we're living in, which is mm -hmm. complex world that we're living in, I see that leaders need a connection to this higher realm. In other words, for me, I always like to think I'm not great on the details. I'm great at saying, what's the big picture here? Mm -hmm. What is the big picture here? Where's this going? What are the forces that are driving it? Yes. Those are kinds of things. And to me, that requires some people would call it spiritual development. Some yes. will talk about it just as human development to begin to be able to see things in a different way. And so a lot of my work that I did with leaders is helping them to move out of task, the moment, off the uh, dance floor and up until the balcony. Love it. Yeah. 
Winnie, leave us with some words of wisdom, some advice for our leaders. Well, you know, I think this thing I just said is a big piece, is being able to go up and down between the balcony and the dance floor. So, and you don't want to get, it's so sweet to get your hands on the details, you know, and so forth and so on, because you were good at them, especially the people you work with who are engineers. But that's not your job. Your job Mm -hmm. (laughs) is to be higher up, see what needs, and then direct from, okay, here's what's going on. Here's your job. Go do it. And then if they need help, of course, you're going to give it to them, but it's not your job to do it. Uh, I find this, especially with engineers, that this is true. The other is empathy, empathy for your employees, empathy for your customers, empathy for your competitors, and to really begin to understand who people are, where are they coming from? And that gives you a much wider view of what's happening and how to respond to each individual, because each individual is precious in themselves so that's a that's another thing and then you can't ever stop reading (laughs) what are you reading now i'm reading karen armstrong's that great transformation and looking at societies as they changed from the gods and goddesses of the ancient world through the transition time which takes place at the years about six thousand in which they begin to think about, especially in the Far East, they think about compassion Mm. as the way to reach a good life, as Mm -hmm. compassion. So, But you're looking at the Greek myths, and you're Mm -hmm. looking at the Abrahamic religions and how they grew, and the Chinese religions and how they grew and what they did with their rituals, and then also the Hindu, which is which I'm very interested in. That's one of the areas that I spend a lot of time in. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Winnie, thank you so much for your stories, your time and energy, and most of all, this relationship. Thank you so much. You know, this was kind of fun. And I hope I didn't disappoint. Oh, never, (laughs) never, never. You did awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Listen for more episodes of Driving Leadership right here on the Get Emergent podcast, where we continue the conversation with leaders every month and come back for more leadership content with Cindy Massengill and Ralph Simone, where they discuss real leadership challenges in a practical and relatable format.